0: Hello everyone and welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin episode 17, today is uh, April 28th, 2014. My name is Sébastien Couture, I'm a user experience designer and developer from Canada and I'm based in Lille, France. I'm also the founder and organizer of Bitcoin Talks Lille.
1: And I'm Brian Parmentrain, I'm a Bitcoin entrepreneur and economist based in Berlin and founder kind of FreakConservice Berlin Group. How are you doing Brian? Yeah, good. Good. How are you? <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Pretty good.
0: Did you uh, have a meetup this week?
1: Yeah, we had a meetup this week. Um, on Tuesday, we had uh, I gave a talk on uh, bit card and kind of cold storage with bit thirty eight. So we're going to touch on that later today. Yeah, I'm really interested and in hearing about that. Yeah, and then we had a talk about uh, an interesting idea. So one of the guys who won the hackathon we organized. Earlier in March, I think, and they went to Texas to the Bitcoin conference there and participated in the hackathon there. So he was talking about his project, yeah, which is also kind of interesting.
0: Remind you, what was this project?
1: Uh, I don't think we talked about it before. It's called Reputation Coin or something like that. Yeah, I think we did mention it. Yeah. So the the idea is that, you know, if you sell something online eBay or all those places that have a reputation system that gives you a certain assurance that the other person is on the scam. And if you, if you want to decentralize, so the idea would be, how can you decentralize that and sort of have some application, you know, on the blockchain. So you could maybe give feedback linked to Bitcoin payments, you know, on a separate blockchain, but maybe it's the same private key. You would sign a feedback message. Um, I mean it's an interesting idea, of course, but i I don't know if it's possible.
0: I don't think yeah ha- I don't think they've figured out how to do it, but it's a it's a big challenge. So it's basically a feedback uh system that is somehow pegged to the blockchain and the transaction and and your your private key. so you the issuer of a transaction is the only one who can actually sign one of these uh feedback messages.
1: Yeah, kind of like that. Huh. Of course, the, the issue would be, uh, and the advantage is you, you do know there's an economic transaction. So you, you can see that money is gone from one address to the other. Of course, the, the problem is that you just send it to yourself and then give yourself feedback that way. So right. uh, th- I think there are a lot of areas where this is vulnerable to people cheating. And that's, of course, a real problem. So I don't think they figured it out, but if they could, that would be huge because you could essentially replace eBay or all the, all those, um, marketplaces that are, you know, those uh, peer to peer marketplaces that, um, where reputation is really one of the core features. So if you can replace that, then that would be very powerful. But I don't know if it's going to be possible.
0: Yeah, this has been a topic of discussion, um, like these, you know, reputation systems. And um, uh, for instance, I was I was listening to of this, the last episode I think with Andreas Samantopoulos and. What he says is that these kind of decentralized uh, marketplaces will become commonplace and I think that's a really kind of interesting future where you have these decentralized marketplaces where you can give reputation. Now, how that actually is going to work, I think we still need to figure out, but uh, uh, I'm interested in a future where you have a, a decentralized a system where uh, consumers and, and users and what have you can um, can give uh, feedback to merchants or you know companies they deal with or uh, what he uses as an example is arbitration systems, for instance, uh, where you have a market of arbitrators and each would have a rating, but the system would also be decentralized. So I think that's a really interesting uh, prospect for the future.
1: Yeah, no, I agree.
0: So we, totally, got, yeah. we got a few uh, topics to cover. Um, so, uh, today we're talking about uh, a few things. We're talking about this proposal for um, altcoin currency distribution uh, called Spinoffs. We'll be talking about uh, a new startup called Bit Undo, which uh, pr- proposes to effectively undo transactions so it will be i think startup
1: is a, is a euphemistic <laughs>
0: yeah. term for this yeah let's okay so a company that has started <laughs> and also uh, zappo has um announced that they'll be issuing a bitcoin debit card so that's pretty interesting and also uh, brian will discuss um his talk about uh, cold storage and BIP38. And I'm really interested in, in, in uh, learning more about this personally because I've been quite interested in the system. I'm still, uh, I, w- I was waiting for you to ex- really explain it so I could buy one and then probably put my uh, some some Bitcoin on it. Yeah, totally. So let's get started with the spin offs, Adi.
1: So just briefly, um, this is something that was mentioned on our website. So when we posted the talk, um, about, so we had an episode before where we discussed the side chains idea and somebody, uh, posted a comment on our blog, that why don't you check out the spin-offs idea? It's quite similar. So I, I did, and it is very interesting. So this was a post on Bitcoin talk uh, just recently. And, the basic idea is that you can use, if you issue an altcoin, you could claim uh, coins of that altcoin using your Bitcoin private keys. So essentially, it would give anyone a right to claim uh, shares of that altcoin's money distribution according to how many Bitcoins they have. Um, so that's the basic idea. Now, um, there... I guess that what they're trying to address here is the distribution issue. Because one of the criticisms with many altcoins is that people create them in order to get rich. So if, like in this case, you know, Bitcoin holders are rewarded and they can claim it, that is, you can maybe prevent that. I'm I'm a bit skeptical, honestly, on many points about this idea, but uh, it's definitely novel. And one thing that's also worth mentioning is that they already have, uh, a version of this plant or an, an old coin plant, which is going to be an Ethereum clone. And I don't know if you mentioned this last week, if we touched on. Yeah. This.
0: Stefan had mentioned that uh, there was an Ethereum clone and it, this is actually the, that, that, that clone Ethereum. Yeah, exactly. So, so the Ethereum guys are going to do
1: fundraisers or people maybe invest, will invest who knows, $20 million or, or more. I think that's quite likely. And if they're going to just, but this it, is open source, so you can just clone it. And so those guys are going to clone it and they're basically going to wipe out the fundraiser. And anyone who has Bitcoins can use their private keys to claim uh, parts of this Ethereum, or I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, new coin. And, you know, functionally it would be equivalent, but of course they should, Distribution-wise, it would be totally different. So uh, I don't know if it's really a threat to Ethereum. Of course, the question there is how much of a network effect do you have? How important is it that um, there's a development team and all those? Because those guys won't want to switch.
0: But so my, uh, my, 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 my first kind of... Instinctive um, reaction to this is so, like you said, you know, it would enable Bitcoin holders to claim altcoins. Um, my first question is like, what? What gives Bitcoin holders more legitimacy to claim an altcoin than anybody else? Like. To, uh, I, I find it interesting that you know we're discussing these things and proposing you know possible solutions to fix uh, some some known problems. But uh, why is uh, a Bitcoin early adopter, for instance, more entitled to anybody else than to having uh, uh, altcoins distributed to him? I, that that's that's a great question, and uh,
1: I was asking myself the same thing. He does have an answer in that post, and. Um, I'm just going to quote this one sentence. By tempting you with unimaginable wealth during a rally and then threatening to take it all away during the crash, the free market has become a highly efficient computer, continuously refining the answer to the question, what is the most efficient distribution of coins in a cryptocurrency? Uh, So essentially what he's claiming here is that, you know, bitcoin for some magical reason that is not clear to me is the most efficient or has over time been the most efficient distribution of coins he doesn't define efficient I think it makes no sense whatsoever um so i i totally agree it does not make any sense to me why this awarding it to bitcoin holders is any more fair than like for example doing a fundraiser and awarding the founders maybe it is maybe it's not but he doesn't really provide an argument for why it should be.
0: Right. Yeah. But again, if you but uh if we take on the other side of it, like if you consider bitcoin and cryptocurrencies to be a startup, right? Uh a lot of times we um make that kind of parallel where you can consider bitcoin to be a new company and you invest in that company. Um if you're creating an altcoin, uh that model I guess is yours to choose. So some will do uh some will do a uh, um um sort of an IPO model. You know, if you want to do this and you think that Bitcoin holders are more entitled to Bitcoins to, to your coin than others, then I get but yeah, but you know as long as this doesn't become sort of a standard, I guess, and and we still have I, I don't think yeah i don't, yeah, is I don't that, think there's a danger of this becoming a standard yeah it, it's, also, it's interesting to have options right this is another yeah. option and then if you want to create an altcoin and enable your um or you know bitcoin holders to claim some of that altcoin then that's another Option for you that you'll implement in your in your altcoin. If you want to do an IPO style thing, you can do an IPO style thing. If you want to airdrop them like they did uh, in uh, in Iceland with uh, with Ar- uh, Aurora Coin, then that's another option.
1: Yeah, this does have some adv- have some advantages, and uh, one of the main ones is that it does give a potentially wide distribution of the coins because they are I don't know probably more than a million people owning uh, some Bitcoin. And of course, having a, a more wider distribution, more people using the coin uh, is an advantage for a currency, uh, like having a broader user base. And if you give it to any Bitcoin user for free, then that's a, a great way to achieve a wide distribution. I, I have to say though, there's, an, there's another, if you compare it to the idea. One of the things that the sidechains ideas wants to address is a digital scarcity. So the problem that when you have a, a scarce asset like Bitcoin, but now you have all those altcoins that can essentially do the same thing. It's not so scarce anymore. And um, this doesn't, sidechains does address that. I think the sidechains proposal does address that because you have a limited amount of Bitcoin, you can move it to different places. Even this kind of altcoin like sidechains but you can't create more of them because uh, if you move them to a side chain then your bitcoin is is locked for that time you can unlock it only by destroying the side chain coin uh, but here your bitcoin keeps having the same value and functionality so if 10 altcoins are going to be issued using this spin-off model then essentially the you know you can have bitcoin and coins in all those 10 altcoins so, it doesn't address the issue of um, kind of inflation and undermining of digital scarcity at all.
0: Yeah, because I mean, you, you're not burning your Bitcoin to, in the proposal, they're not proposing to burn the Bitcoin, just to kind of claim them based on the amount of Bitcoins that you have.
1: Yeah, another issue is I don't know how someone mentioned that on Bitcoin Talks in a comment is if, if my private key, uh, now controls some amount of bitcoin and also some amount of i don't know altcoin something that was used issued with the spin-off model and now the altcoin money issuance ends because it's only limited you can only claim your money in that spin-off coin for let's say a month or something then my bitcoin is not really exchangeable anymore to the same Is it? No, maybe it is actually. Yeah, no, I I think I was wrong there. Uh, But um, the limited money issuance actually brings up another problem because there's this, the thing with uh, pre-mine, right? So you start an altcoin and you mine it first and then you tell everyone about it, but you've already accumulated a lot of them. And so of course that's kind of a way to scam, one could say. And we can have something kind of similar here if you create a spin-off coin and you don't tell anyone about it and then you tell people about it but it's too late for people to claim it with their bitcoins then you know you essentially have the same thing
0: Mhm yeah uh, So this doesn't
1: uh, solve the problem of a uh, pump and dump really at all uh, it's just another way of uh, doing it <laughs>
0: Uh, th- like i said there's i think there's issues with this and i think the for to me the the one that kind of strikes me as most obvious is that it 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 doesn't address that that issue of um of scarcity which i mean it clearly isn't trying to uh, but it just further uh kind of reinforces that um the 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 the, the, the i guess the problem that we have with bitcoin or one of the problems that that exists in bitcoin is that early adopters have the control over the most coins and this just gives them more control over more types of coins I know, other altcoins
1: yeah no that's i think that's totally right yeah no, that is a problem and this doesn't solve the problem i think uh, something like the aurora coin even though I think it's difficult to implement it in a decentralized way. I think that would be
0: the way to approach this problem. So if you want to, if you want to learn more about this, uh, there hasn't been really much written about it other than the Bitcoin talk post has there. I don't know, actually. I
1: only read through the Bitcoin talk.
0: Mm. So if you search for Bitcoin talks, spin-offs, bootstrap, and altcoin with a BTC blockchain-based initial distribution, you'll find it. There's quite a few. There's like, well, you know, as of now, there's 10 pages of posts. So lots of discussion there. Um,
1: and also, thanks to our listener for pointing this out. But his name, his I don't know his real name, but on the blog, it was Digital Currents. Digital currency, D C I M, was his uh, comment handle. So thanks for pointing that. It is an interesting idea.
0: Yeah, thanks. Um, let's move on to uh, Bit Undo.
1: Yeah, uh, this is crazy. I was reading about this. Actually, someone told me about it at the meetup, and I think I'd seen it. And I was like, ah. And then I've been looking into it now, and it's this is quite scary. I think. But yeah, let me tell you what it is. So Bit undo is essentially, you can go to it. It's like bitundo.com or something. So it's a service and it, they try to help you double spend your bitcoins. So let's say you buy something on a website and the website accepts a zero confirmation transaction. Then you can go to Bit undo and create another transaction that instead of sending the money to the merchant, you send it to yourself. Or you send it to a bit undo generated address, actually. Um, and then bit do is gonna broadcast that and you're gonna try to pay a higher fee than the fee you paid. So for a miner, you might say, Oh, now I have two transactions and they conflict because they use the same inputs. Um maybe I'm gonna use that bit undo transaction because it gives me more money. And if then the block is mined where that transaction is in instead of the other one, the merchant just lost the money. You got the transaction, the unconfirmed transaction didn't get in a block. Um, so this is, and, and you can get your money back minus 10% fee to bid undo, which includes also what they paid to the miners because they pay more to the miners to incentivize that.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you said, this is, uh, like you said earlier, to call this a startup, I mean. um,
1: I I mean, it's kind of a a criminal, uh, it's really a way, it's a tool to scam people. Yeah. Even though they they claim, they phrase it as, you know, sometimes you make mistakes, you do this Bitcoin payment, and instead of 0.2 Bitcoins, you send two Bitcoins. And oh, now there's no way to revert it because Bitcoin payments are revertible. But we're providing the service for you. With us, you, you can try to, uh, for a type of fee. And of course, that's like so completely fake and not credible at all. This is not what this is for. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you if you legitimately make a mistake, until you figured it out, it's too late anyway. It's only if you like know I'm gonna try to double spend. I'm gonna spend some money. And, you know, I'm going to go straight away to You sent this out because it has to happen within a few minutes before the next block happens. Yeah.
0: Now, I, I see, I, I'm not I'm not so scared by this thing, I, but be, and I'll tell you why. First of all, uh, this is not for every Bitcoin user. You need to actually have Bitcoin D installed. Because uh, I, I wanted to try this. And so I went and, you know, went through the process of doing it. And the last step is you have to have Bitcoin D installed and you have to send us this, the transaction. Um... But right now, I mean, one of the things it says
1: on the website is that they're having some affiliate program for wallet developers. Yeah. So if as a wallet developer, you integrate you, So you could give people like a one-click, you know, submit your undo thing. Um, then they're going to give the wallet developer a affiliate commission for any undone payments. So I think I can very well imagine some wallet, I think, sure, some wallet developers will uh, adopt this or some will develop specific wallets for this. And uh, I think this is a big threat.
0: Yeah, but again, so, okay, so say it does get easier. Perhaps uh, by having it integrated in wallets. For now, it, it is it is kind of uh, it is kind of um, hard to, to to do. I mean, you have to have uh, Bitcoin D installed. That's already uh, an undertaking. You have to have the blockchain ready. Like I'm still <laughs> importing the blockchain because I had just formatted my Mac. Um, but the thing is. This is only going to work for small, very small transactions, right? Because I mean, if you're going to buy, I don't know, a computer or say a car or something like that, they're going to wait for, for some confirmations before they're sending you the product. So if you're buying something online, for instance, by the time the product is shipped, you're your, your your transaction will have been confirmed. If you're buying a coffee maybe, uh but no, no no, but unless it's a digital product. Any digital product
1: or you know, if you exchange currency for another one, I, okay, I guess they also wait for confirmation if you pay in an exchange. I think this is a huge threat. I, I I mean Bitpay, all those companies, they accept zero confirmation transactions by default. So I I think this is a big threat. I think I think this is a, a totally a vulnerability of Bitcoin. It's something where the incentives aren't aligned. For a miner, it's actually rational in the sense to participate in this bit than thing. Uh So I think this is a
0: threat. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's a long term threat, and because well, what's these, the these, these things illustrate that there are problems, and so now we're going to try to fix them. And so by Perhaps changing the—I I'm, I'm, I'm not—I I don't know much about mining, but to there, there must be ways that we can change the protocol to decentivize this kind of thing. Or, I don't know about that. Or uh, this maybe we'll just push merchants to accept uh, transactions only after one confirmation. So that's a total disaster. I mean, that would make Bitcoin completely
1: unusable and not competitive as a payment network.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, if, if you, you know, you can't pay the rest of, you have to wait 10 minutes or, or maybe sometimes it takes 20 minutes for a confirmation to come through when you make your payment, uh, forget about it. I mean, then, then whatever lower transaction costs we have versus credit cards, uh, that's not enough. They're going to be inferior.
0: So what's the, I, what do you think the solution is? I,
1: I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is. It's not obvious to me. I, I guess in a sense what protects what is protecting here is that as a mining pool, if you do this, maybe a lot of miners will say, I mean, I I think this is obviously a threat to Bitcoin. And now if you say I'm going to do this, even though in the short term, it may help you make a little bit more money, it can also undermine your you know your bitcoins and the value in the long term. So, yeah. in a sense, as a miner, if you have ten million dollars worth of mining hardware, you might say, "I'm not going to do that to make five percent more profit now," because it undermines my the value of my hardware. But this is a very this is a very dangerous position to be in mm. because some people will probably say, "I'm going to do it anyway for more of a short term profit." And th- then maybe the other ones say, Oh, I'm gonna do it too, because if I don't do it, they do it and they get the money and I don't. So it's dangerous. No, so I mean I think it
0: I, I think it's to be uh, definitely um, uh, seen as a as as a potential threat. I I, I don't think that right now it is um i think that perhaps if this develops into something that's integrated into all into all wallets it will be but no it won't be integrated in all wallets
1: there's enough that i mean as a merchant you don't care what wallet
0: uh, okay so let's say like one wallet integrates it or something like that Uh, but i I think that this at this early stage in bitcoin because it is still very early um it, it 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 much like, you know, I mean, because they're they're using transaction malleability essentially to, um, to, uh, to. But un- this is worse. This
1: is much worse than transaction malleability, I think, uh, because transaction malleability essentially was just a problem of wallet software looking it up the wrong way. This is a problem of the incentive structure, the economic incentive structure that uh, transaction fees provide and miners have. You can't just change that with uh, This is much harder to change. And uh, the problem is you don't need to have very many people using this. Even if you have 3% of people using this bit undo wallet that maybe will develop soon where you can do like one click, try to undo uh, your payment, that's disaster. And even if only 30% of them work or something. I mean, that make, creates a, a serious risk of uh, double spending for merchants. I mean, even if it's only 2% of all your payments or double spend or 1%, that's a problem.
0: Yeah, no, but what, what I was going to say is, it this is a red flag, but the Bitcoin community and the Bitcoin development community need, I mean, we need to know that these problems exist in order to be able to fix them, you know.
1: I think this has been known for, I saw somewhere this has been o- known for years. I mean, in a sense, it's quite obvious what they're doing and it's obvious that those incentives are there. It's just no one's done it yet, uh, but you, you're totally right. This needs to be fixed. It's just not immediately clear to me how it can be fixed. And I don't think it's going to be so trivial to fix this.
0: No, I guess the risk uh, here maybe is that like cuz this i think it, this is even an, an open source project Am I right? i read somewhere this was open source i don't know that no maybe i'm wrong okay uh, maybe it is i don't know so i guess the risk is that like we have like bit claim your like bit, uh, doublespend.com like other Companies like this popping up, and we have multiple ones, and they start competing against each other for like the best, you know, the highest fees or whatever. Or more. No,
1: 50%. I don't think that's the. I mean, the danger is that you're gonna have twenty percent of miners are gonna say, "I'm gonna participate there," and you're gonna have, uh, you know, four percent, three percent of Bitcoin users that are gonna say, "I'm gonna try that out," and that's gonna be enough to create a serious, serious problem for Bitcoin as a payment network, payment system. And I think this is a really big threat. Yeah. I, I, I think, think this gonna, is, I
0: think we're going to fix it before yeah. before Bitcoin becomes a, main, like a mainstream uh, how, payment though, system. How
1: though? To fix this, you re, you need to completely change, uh, you need to make some really serious changes. You need to change how transaction fees work. It is not simple to fix.
0: Hmm. I don't, I don't know about enough about, um, about, you know, how this is structured to
1: right now, right? Well, miners do, if they get two conflicting payments, they just take the first one. Right. And, and that's, that's fine because if you pay a merchant with BitPay, BitPay is so well connected to like all the miners. They're like super, super fast in broadcasting, um, the transaction that they say, you know, we're fine, um, we take a small risk of there being, an unspe- uh, you know, um, someone double spending the money or, you know, or a zero, not confirmed transaction going in the block, but it's small because we're so well connected, We we can broadcast it so fast that most of the miners get it before any attempt to, you know, double spend the money.
0: But, okay, see. Hmm.
1: but now this is different because you don't, they don't do not bit do does not have to be that well connected. They can send it 20 seconds after bit pay, but they, instead of paying, you know, one cent transaction fee, they're going to pay $1 transaction fee. And now as a mining, i say, Oh, I have an un you know, I have two transactions that are conflicting. Uh, maybe I'm going to just take the one that pays me a higher fee. Uh, so, in a sense, in a sense, it's really rational for miners to do this. And it was funny because there was a CoinDesk article that sort of mentioned this, and they were not very critical of this, which I thought was kind of, um, yeah, a bit worrying. But they, there was a quote. Just one second, let me find it. So, so the guy who started that company, um, he said that. He, he acted as if this was the solution somehow and that you could have the replaced by fee could solve the double spending problem, i.e. that unconfirmed transactions aren't so safe in that it would force people to pay higher transaction fees so that, um, so that someone can't come in and like reverse the payment, you know, by, by offering the miners more money. That makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, then you have a race where people pay higher and higher transaction fees in order to not get the transaction undone. I mean, that's a total disaster. Then you're going to have extremely high transaction fees in Bitcoin. It's not going to be competitive at all with anything. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's very worrying. I honestly think this is a serious, could be a serious problem. And I hope, I hope there's going to be a solution found. I think for the time being, it may not be such a problem because. I'm sure most miners will not do this and because perhaps it's kind of tedious to even try to do this um, undo attempt, but I think at least they're trying to undo them is going to become easy and if you're going to have miners do this, yeah, I, ho- I really hope there's going to be a good solution for this.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I want to try it. I installed Bitcoin D and I'm just re- rebuilding the blockchain so I can, I can try it, see if it actually works.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. And you should try to buy something online, you know, with a service like Bitstamp um, and, you know, try buy a digital grid or something that, you know, you get immediately. Uh, what's also important to realize is that the probability of this working depends on how many miners, of course, do this. So if there's only um, 2% of the miners that do this, you know, there's going to be a one in 50 chance of, or 2, 2% of the mining power that that is of you being able to reverse your payment. But the interesting thing is, so I could buy something online. I could buy a CD online that I really want or a song online that I really you want. You want to buy I maybe pay. a cassette? Instead of a CD, <laughs> yeah.
0: How <laughs> about I, I send you a VHS? So.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, so you buy something, you pay with BitPay, and you're gonna do your undo transaction. And now maybe you and you actually wanted this thing, so you have the good, and there's a one in fifty chance that you're gonna get your money back too. And maybe forty nine times you don't get it, doesn't work. And then one say, I have my money back, and I have. Uh, you know, all those songs I bought. So, and, and they won't even know necessarily um, that you even tried that if it doesn't work, they will only know if it works.
0: Yes. Again, I, I, I still think that the, the percentage of people that are going to do this, like I don't even think it would be 1%. I mean, but first of all first, of all, first of all, first of all, it has to be for, for transactions. That are confirmed that, that are sent, I mean, for products that are sent out, um, with zero confirmations. So if that's a physical good, I mean, you can forget about it because that good's not going to be sent until that transaction has gone through. If it's digital goods, perhaps, um, but, you know, take that percentage of digital goods that are issued right when a, uh, at the point of of, of transactions so before there was any confirmation and then subtract from that like all the honest people and just take the dishonest people that even know about this like, i think it's going to be so small
1: yeah but i don't think it matters i think if, even if it can it can be a very small percentage of cases of this happening it's a real problem it's like with credit cards right okay there's only very few frauds but it still adds i don't know two percent or something or to the transaction fees. Because someone has to pay for all this. This is the same here. You might only have very, very few people doing this, but it can uh, it can create a huge burden, and they can create huge costs and really totally undermine the uh, the trust in this. It doesn't have to be a lot of people, and it doesn't have to be a lot of miners. If you had twenty percent of miners or ten percent of miners, it would be it would, it would cause problems.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, um, so. So, in order to do this, you have to go to uh, bitundo.com and you uh, click on Undo Web App. They'll ask you for a transaction hash. So, you have to provide the transaction hash. Then, you have to specify which inputs and outputs you're trying to. Um, is that how it is? I mean, you specify the output and then the input. And then, you have to specify like where you want it to go back, I think.
1: I think they generate an address, you know, because they also take some money and then they, they do the, I think they do that for you. But yeah, you, ha- you have to provide the original transaction. So I think transaction hash and inputs and outputs. So that kind of
0: thing. Yeah, let, let's try this here right on the live. Uh, so I'm going to get the transaction hash, just a random transaction from blockchain. So here, I'm going to input that transaction hash. it's loading all right so transaction amount so it's a transaction for uh 0.1 bitcoins there are two outputs so you can undo so for instance like there's there's the uh transaction output and then there's the the change so we'll just trans. we'll just cancel that um, transaction output so you can un- so from 0.1 one two zero one bitcoins you can undo 0.1197 and the fee would be 0.01 so if i do next now where do you want to put the money They they provide an address and you can do an undo transaction and so that makes your fee twice as high that's double fee um for a well, private undo transaction so essentially what they say is if you do this if you if you enable private undo transaction what what it means is if it fails no one's going to know that you tried to undo the transaction i'm not sure how they do that and then, I, I yeah no, and then and, well, and then you click next yeah. and then it says now what you should do is like from bitcoin d run bitcoin d and sign the transaction and um you know, they give you a they give you a piece of code to line like a, a command to put in your terminal or command line interface. And then you have to provide the signed raw transaction. So like this is where I had to stop because I didn't have Bitcoin D installed. Yeah,
1: I, I think the private transa in a sense, right, as a miner, you will see that you get another conflicting transaction. And I guess uh, you know, anyone who has a lot of nodes will see those too. So I think their private transaction may come from them running their own pool. So they have an own, their own pool. And if you send it directly to that pool, of course, they maybe won't broadcast it to other nodes and pools. So nobody would know that you tried to double spend it. Right. Um, and again you may have an incentive as a miner to join their pool because they will have a higher you know you have higher return there so anyway uh, i'm really curious what the solution is going to be you know i, I tried to google it a bit to see like does anybody have a response i couldn't find anything but let's see i am yeah I'm, i can't wait to see how this is addressed
0: this is fairly new right this came up like this week I think. Yeah.
1: I I I guess you could have done this poor, like manually yourself, but if no miner, you know, if no miner is going to pay attention to your higher transaction fee uh, payment that you're trying to use to reverse it, then it's obviously not going to work. So you need to have enough, you know, enough attention that some, at least some non natural percentage of miners are going to say, okay, we're going to do this.
0: Well, I guess we'll see where it goes. Like, again, I'm not. I'm, for the time being, I'm not very worried about it. Let's let let's wait and see what um, what people have to say about it, and, and if there are some ways to fix it. Yeah, we'll have to. All right, so let's talk about uh, the Zappo credit card. This is super exciting. So. First, we bring you the shitty news and then we bring you the exciting news. <laughs> so uh, Zappo, we talked about them before. So Zappo.com, they're a, they call themselves a Bitcoin bank, really. I mean, uh, their, their business model is to hold your Bitcoin. So they have a cold wallet there that you can hold large amounts of Bitcoin uh, for a, a reasonably uh, low fee if you compare it to some of the other services like Elliptic Vault, for instance. And they have a hot wallet which is a really cool little hot wallet you can uh, load up on your on your phone uh, on a website it's really easy to access really easy to create Um, and um, they're announcing well they just announced that they're going to be issuing a bitcoin debit card now this is a little different from other cards that are already out there which are like prepaid credit cards where you essentially load uh, you sell Bitcoin and load up cash on a, on a prepaid Visa or MasterCard. This is actually a debit card. And so, how this is going to work is you're going to have your hot wallet over at Zappo.com. Let's say you have three Bitcoins on there. Well, that balance, you'll be able to use the equivalent in whatever currency um, in that balance to uh, pay for goods and services online or at brick and mortar stores. And uh, I think this is really cool because it opens up uh, the ability to pay for goods and services directly with your Bitcoin balance. Now, um, so apparently how this is gonna work, Brian, you were saying that um, they will have, now, yeah, because there's a Corndest article about this, which explains how it works. So they have a deal with a bank. Um, they work with a bank who will essentially, when you, so the bank will issue the card, And uh, when you uh, try to pay for something, uh, that bank will check with Zappo through perhaps like some sort of an API if you have that balance and then um, then, uh, Zappo will say, yeah, so they've got the balance and then the bank will authorize that transaction. And this will all happen very quickly now. Yeah. um, And then Zappos will
1: sell you Bitcoins on
0: Bitstamp in like,
1: you know, real time, I guess. Or, you know, as close to, you know, maybe they'll have a tiny risk or something. Right. But, but, you know, basically in real time, you know, your conversion rate is going to be clear. And then they're going to use that money from Bitstamp, you know, to send to the bank. So pretty cool. Now,
0: I guess uh, so. Just there, it's men- worth mentioning there's going to be a fifteen dollar uh, activation fee, like a one time activation fee. At first, when I read this, I was kind of worried that it would be like a super high fee uh, card to use. Like I've used cards like this for services like Plymouth, which are kind of like PayPal um, like services, and they issue a card which allow you to access your balance directly, and there's like the, the fees are extremely high. First you have to pay like $20 a year to use it. And then if you withdraw money from an ATM, like they charge you like $5 every time. Um, from what it sounds like the CoinDesk article uh, where the CEO kind of gave some clarification about how this is gonna work, uh, that's not gonna be the case. And they're really trying to push uh, uh, users to be able to use their Bitcoin at merchants and um, I think really the the uh, business model behind this this is just another service layer which will incentivize people to use their cold wallet I think I mean like they say in their uh, uh, in that article they're a Bitcoin bank right their business model is to hold your Bitcoin and that's where they're making their money so if they can bring if they can provide that service at a reasonable cost and provide a secure service, uh that is uh that is trusted and has you know some long term uh, sort of um um reputation uh people will use it and that means that you know they're making money on that service and this is just a, yeah, another service exactly. layer on top of that uh, which makes it uh, even more uh, alluring to use Apple
1: yeah, that's right. So they're charging on the cold vault. I think, if I remember correctly, like zero point one two percent per year. Yeah. So of which is compared to a-
0: like other services like Elliptic Vault, we had calculated it as much more advantages. Oh, way way cheaper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, this is uh, I mean, really good price
1: for because it's insured as well. At least they say so. Um. and yeah, no, You know, probably true.
0: So. I like the probably true.
1: <laughs>
0: it's probably true. Let's put all our bitcoins over there.
1: No. I think this is yeah, it's great. Uh, also maybe worth mentioning they so the merchant's going to pay the normal Mastercard fee. So in a sense it's a slight disadvantage or it is a disadvantage versus, you know, just paying with Bitcoin. Because the you know the, the lower transaction fees aren't there. You're gonna have your regular MasterCard transaction fees. and from that perspective, yeah. But of course it opens up millions of places that accept, you know, MasterCard or whatever payment network they will use. Um so yeah, this is cool. I wanna say something else and I can't think of it.
0: <laughs> so right now Oh yeah, you're right. Um this doesn't change the existing model. I think it's kind of an intermediate solution to be able to spend your Bitcoin. Um, It it, it provides another layer of service, but uh, this is not what we're trying to do, right? We're not trying to, you know, mix the existing model with uh, with the new model. We want to destroy the existing model. So, uh, I think this is a necessary step in order to uh, allow people to use their Bitcoins and, and spend them in stores, but um, this is not like a long-term solution by any means. Well, I mean, it's, you, not a, it's not, a, it's, this is not what we're trying to achieve. It d- depends
1: how you, yeah, no, sure, of course. It would be preferable if uh, merchants just accept Bitcoin, you pay with Bitcoin, you know, it's cool. But you know, if you talk about long-term solution, you know, until what time is MasterCard or going to have a bigger reach than Bitcoin? You know, it's probably going to be at least another five years or 10 years.
0: I was going to say 12 months.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I mean, they they have uh, millions of merchants you can pay with MasterCard. Yeah. Uh, And Bitcoin, I think 60,000 now. um, You know that this, for quite a long time, this is going to give you much bigger reach in terms of payments. And of course, you can have both, right? You can have the, like, say, Zappos app, and I'm sure you can have a mobile app and everything that you can use to pay if they accept Bitcoin, or you could have the card to pay uh, if they don't accept Bitcoin. Still, a few Bitcoins, but just using that kind of Mastercard work around.
0: Now, this is interesting. I was thinking about this. So, in the U.S., uh, you have to pay capital gains on uh, on uh, capital gains tax on your gains. So, I wonder if, and Zappo being in the U.S., they're based in California. I wonder if they're going to integrate some sort of uh, a tool which will allow you, like in your wallet, to, to calculate how much you made on every transaction. Oh, that's a great question. This would be a yeah, really yeah. interesting service. Now, if they provided this, this would kind of alleviate some of those problems that we were discussing, and they would be, you know, that, that would be a really good service. So, the, all yeah, these yeah. services layers, you know, that they could build on top of this. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they announced this within a few months.
1: No, that's, uh, no, that's, you're totally right. This is a, yeah, it's a great question. I didn't think of this. But no, you, you're absolutely right. I think they'll have to do this. Yeah. O- otherwise, it's going to be, you know, impossible for people to, Get the taxes right, but you know, if you have something like them and they, I mean, for them, it will also be, you know, maybe pretty easy. Well, to manage, be, well, but you will have to give them the price at which you bought the bitcoins in. If you have mm, your Sapper's yeah. wallet and you transfer the bitcoins in, they, they don't know how much you paid for them, so they, they won't be able to calculate any tax liability. Like That's true. Actually, in a sense, it's impossible for them to do it because I think the way you're going to have to calculate taxes is this like first in, first out idea. So your first Bitcoin you bought uh, and then the first Bitcoin you sold, you really have to calculate the capital gains versus the first time you bought it, right? So if you bought one in between, it doesn't count.
0: That's
1: true. So even if Sappos sold Bitcoins like Coinbase does, uh, it, that's not necessarily relevant for calculating your tax liability because they will have to know about all your bitcoin purchases anywhere so i think it's actually very tricky to do but i think they'll they'll probably try maybe hopefully they'll try to do something to to solve this problem so that at least if you bought ink zappers they'll have some some sort of calculation even if it's a bit wrong yeah
0: but they don't sell for now i mean for now it's just a they're just a bank but maybe they'll start yeah perhaps And I'm wondering, you know, can they offer, can they give you that information just on the, on the tail end? So, um, they can give you the, I I guess they can, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, they they can can give give you you
0: the, the other half. I mean, they can't give you the, the information about what you purchased, but if they give you the other half and the price at which you sold it, um, then I guess it's up to you to, to figure out.
1: Yeah, but you don't want to be the one putting all that information together. That would be a very, very unpleasant weekend. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just thinking about having to do my taxes (laughs) makes me think I'm going to have an unpleasant weekend at some point.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Are are you going to try to do that?
0: Um, No, because I haven't really... I mean, aside from the beers I buy at... uh, at the machine on my Bitcoin meetup nights, and I think I have probably lost money there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know, most of the bitcoins I bought back when it was up at uh, six or seven hundred euros, and then I bought some when I was in Germany, and it was like five hundred then. So yeah, I'm probably losing money.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh- yeah, I mean, I also didn't spend enough money in bitcoins for this to, you know, become really relevant. But
0: yeah, plus, like, France hasn't issued any guidelines yet, so yeah, not worried about it. Uh, yeah, this is really, this is really cool, though. I mean, I, I definitely uh, have signed up for one. I think that, uh, like, right now they're taking signups, so it's worth mentioning that it's in pre-order right now. I don't, I'm not. I'm not sure when they're coming out. Have they mentioned when it's coming out? Within two months, so we anticipate shipping the credit card within two months. Uh, Is it Americans only? I don't know. I would think so. I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's easy for them to issue it everywhere. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Because I mean, Probably like Plymouth, could, yeah. I was using Plymouth, and they're in the states, and I was, I was getting a credit. I could easily get a credit card. I had more fees though, but. Um, uh, I could get I could get it here. So I think that you what right now they're accepting a pre-order, which means that you basically have to create an account. So when you uh, was I already had Exapo an account, and when I tried to pre-order, I gave my email address, and it took me to the sign-up page. Um, so I think that like existing users are really just going to get an email saying like, do you want to order your card? Um, so this is a this is I guess also a good way for them to have new accounts, right? New users, because uh, people are pre, people that want to pre-order basically have to create an account with them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So no, this is cool, and um, I'm really looking forward to uh, like I'm just signing into my example again. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, them developing new um, new service layers on top of it, like. When I first started, when I first signed up, for example, uh, I thought that it was an interesting wallet solution for uh, iPhone users because it's really easy to set up your account, and it's right in your browser. And like, if they had like a web app, like they could easily turn this into a web app with just like one one click, basically. Um, the only problem really for now is that like there's no, they haven't integrated the. Um, I don't know how technically feasible this is, but they haven't integrated the webcam option into the web app. So, if you want to send money to someone, you have to either enter their name, email address, which means that they're Xapo user or Bitcoin address, but they don't have the webcam button. So, but I, I don't know if it's I don't know if that's feasible in Safari Mobile yet. But uh, other than that, I think it's a promising company. Um, then again um just a little reluctant in putting my bitcoins in their vault um
1: i i just logged in again because i also have one and i realized they have a four digit pin they require to log
0: in yeah what's that we had mentioned this before so the cold wall the hot wall rather um i think it's meant to be really easy right so I think you really need to look at your at this uh, this hot wallet, like a wallet that you would have on your phone, like like Mycelium, for instance, where it's meant to be really easy to access, but you're really not supposed to have a lot of money in there. So if you use like Andreas Schiltback's wallet, there's no pin code. Like anybody who picks up your phone can log into it, can use it. Uh, if you use Mycelium or some other wallet, you can have a, a four digit pin code just to protect your um your wallet. So I think this is the same kind of model where uh they want to make it really easy for you to be able to access. Uh, I think it would be really simple for them to even make this a web app. In fact, if you if you go to zappo.com on your iPhone and you just add a bookmark to your home page, it essentially becomes a web app where you can just launch it like an application, enter your email address and your uh, and your four-digit pin code. In a sense, that's even more secure than having simply a pin code on, a, on an app wallet. You also have that other layer of security, which is your email address. But again, um, you you shouldn't keep large amounts of uh, Bitcoin in here. Now, when you go into the cold wallet side, then you have like, you know, secure password. I think they even have two faster authentication. But I think there's a a real opportunity for them to educate about this. Because when you create an account, they did mention... I I think I remember when I created my account, there was kind of a a little page there that said, like, this is your hot wallet. You shouldn't keep large amounts of Bitcoin in here. But I think that they perhaps need to kind of make that even more clear by, like, if you have lots of money in there, like, they would give you a little little notice that says, okay, you should keep this in your cold storage. Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I was just noticing one, because they're charging this 0.12% annual fee, well, I think what they do is they charge it upfront. So they charge you when you deposit money in the vault. Yeah. They charge you upfront for a year. Yeah. So um, it makes it slightly less
0: attractive, but still, you know, it's still a good price. Yeah. So. No, I, um, uh, I'm, I really like their their uh, philosophy and the model, like the philosophy of having a cold wallet and a hot wallet. And, um, I think it's uh, it's the company that needs that uh, needs to be further looked into, I guess. And they, yeah, all, they have this new thing now where you can earn bitcoins. So they have this kind of like affiliation thing on their wallet page, where like if you if you like, for instance, if I go to buy something on like a local merchant, they'll pay me in satoshis. <laughs> Like if if i buy something on yves rocher for instance i get a million satoshis
1: oh okay
0: yeah i think they're just giving you like a cut of affiliate affiliate revenue or whatever lead revenue or something like that
1: oh yeah that's interesting yeah
0: are you getting that too in your
1: yeah yeah i'm seeing that and
0: you're but you're seeing german merchants right um because i'm seeing like all french merchants
1: I think I'm seeing, yeah, some German ones. Yeah, Germany.
0: Yeah, it's a they've got a partnership with TrialPay. Oh, okay, yeah, so it's like a lead acquisition company. Hmm. Cool.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Let's let's follow this up, and uh, I think it will be great to try out that card.
0: Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to it.
1: So let's let's touch on on our last topic, which kind of related also to the cold vault idea that uh, Glapos has, and it's something I gave a talk on Tuesday about, which is um, cold storage using BIP38 encrypted uh, wallets. And particularly, I was kind of testing out the system by a company called BitCard. Now, uh, if you want to check out their website, It's uh, it's bit-card.com, and that redirects you to a uh, bit BitCard, bit-card.de. So it's a German company. Uh, I don't know. Did you meet him, Carson? Uh, he was. Uh, no, I don't think I. Did. Maybe not. No. Yeah, uh, but if you might have seen their cards have been used as name tags on some Bitcoin conferences yeah, I have one of their
0: cards like I have a, a wallet yeah, card yeah 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 some guy was distributing them at uh, at the German con- uh, the, uh, that's right the, Berlin conference. the seed coin guy so yeah.
1: so you can also get branded cards so yeah. you can like have your brand on it and get the cards but those, those are simple paper wallets so if, if I steal the wallet, rub it open, I have the coins. What rub I was it talking about
0: like a bottle
1: <laughs> like the, the hologram yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So what I was talking about was uh, another system which is you can actually make a really secure system with. Here's how it works. The whole idea is that you use a password to generate and uh, some code, And only with that password can you afterwards control the funds. Now, so it works like this. You go on a site like uh, bit2factor.org. Then at the top, uh, it has passphrase. So you can enter passphrase there. And then it uses the script uh, algorithm to generate an intermediate code. So script takes very long. It's very computational intensive. So if you're going to try to brute force it, it's going to be impossible. So you're going to put in a passphrase, you're going to intermediate code. And then you send that intermediate code to a bit card, and they're going to use that intermediate code to generate an encrypted private key and a Bitcoin address. And now they don't know, they can't control the Bitcoins in that, and they don't know your passphrase and only you can afterwards control the bitcoins using that passphrase does that make sense yeah so they're going to send you the cards afterwards and you can uh, transfer money on that but the point is they have no control over it at any point so even if bitcard is corrupt uh, they can't steal your money and what's also cool is even if your computer is uh, corrupt, you have malware on it, a keylogger or something, and they get the passphrase you type in there, that's not going to be of any use unless you also have the physical card,
0: right? right? Right. Yeah. No, I really like this, and what I like about it is that, if, so, the it's the bit thirty eight implementation. So this is a protocol, um, not a protocol, but it's a, um, uh, it's a. Uh, what do you call it? It's a it, yeah, no, it's a protocol. Uh, but it's not built into the protocol. But it's 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 a It's a, method, it's a means to uh, generate uh, public and private keys. What what I really like about this is that you only give to Bit thirty um, eight a confirmation code, which they use. Uh, the intermediate code. Right. The control. intermediate code. They they never have access to your public and private keys. No, public key yes, uh, they, well, they don't have the access address. to your private key. Sorry, um, yeah. which which is really interesting, and also like the 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 fact that you can't really brute force this. Now, just to be clear, this is not a brain wallet. This is not like you know, no, <laughs> let no. generate a private key based on some sentence or something like that this is much more complex and um and you post you have the slides up uh, so anybody who wants to see them i um yeah if yeah. you go to slideshare.com epicenter bitcoin uh, you'll see their uh, epicenter bitcoin has liked brian's uh post so if you want to see those slides and there's a brian did a nice uh, uh a nice graph on how this works and how the yeah the it's also generated
1: worth mentioning there are bip 38 there's actually two things there's kind of two different protocols in bip 38 one is you have a private key and then you encrypt it on a paper wallet so i think the normal paper wallets are also bip 38 uh, but it's different because the key generation is not split up so you can take any uh, private key uh, and encrypt it using bip 38 but the different the other bib 38 this is different because you don't know what private key you're going to get, but this is a way of generating a private key from a passphrase uh, that's split up. So it's slightly confusing there because there's really two quite different procedures with under the same umbrella. So, you know, if you go Bit address or something like that, where you can use a uh, generate paper wallet, I think they also use paper 38, but that, that other thing, I think, I'm actually not quite sure how they do it. Now, can you go, can you explain this,
0: um, can you explain this, uh, so on your slides on slide 10, um, you explain the bit 38. Can you kind of go through how this works?
1: Yeah. So once again, you, you put in a passphrase, then script runs through and it generates an intermediate code. This is going to take a long time in with JavaScript in the browser. It takes five seconds or something. And I think even on the computer, if you do this, you can only do maybe five guesses a minute. I think that's uh, a second. I think that's what Carsten told me is the most he gets on like a really fast computer. Uh, and then you take that intermediate code, you send it to a bit card, or in the order when you order the cards, you enter it. There's a field for it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Then
1: they they use that to generate an encrypted private key, an address, and also this confirmation code. But let's not go into that. Um, and then basically you get the cards and you know, you have, you can transfer money on there. And now if you want to spend from there, you need to import it in, for example, blockchain.info supports it. Uh, so you can oh, import it in blockchain. It. Cool. Yeah. So, and then they, they're going to prompt you for the passphrase and then they're going to use the passphrase to decrypt it. Now, of course, once you've done that, it's not the cold wallet
0: anymore. Yeah, no, I was, that's really cool. Cause I was worried about, I was thinking like, so if I want to do this, I've got to go back on 2-bit Bitfactor, put in my confirmation code and my encrypted uh, private key, and then what? Then I gotta f- like b- import them into a wallet. But if uh, Blockchain Info just supports it, then you can just import it right there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome.
0: Cool. I, I wish, like, I hope Zappa would do this also.
1: Yeah, I think it's I mean this is a standard protocol yeah, kind of yeah. so I, I think it's quite like I think there are all the roles that support this and yeah I think it's quite likely. And also just very briefly, so the way you could the way you could they also allow you to get several cards, right? So you can have the encrypted card several times. So and then it says like one out of two and two out of two, or you could have three of them or something, and put it in different places. So here is how you could do a secure system of that. And I have it on like slide 13, how you kind of organize this. So one is the passphrase. You just know when you head, And it doesn't have to be that secure because you can't brute force it with script. So it can be, you know, monkey 927 or something will probably be good enough. So you have the passphrase. You know that in your head. You can also have a receive-only card where it's just your Bitcoin address is on there. And then at home, for example, you could have your encrypted card. Now, even if someone steals your encrypted card, they can't do anything
0: without the password, which only you know. Yeah, and these cards, like you can even get them without a hologram. That's how, like, you don't have to protect that that, password. No, you don't. Right, yeah, yeah.
1: And then you could say, I'm going to put the password on paper in your parents' house, because after all, you could forget the paper. Uh, you could forget the password or something could happen to you. You could have an accident or something. And then how would somebody be able to recover it? So you need to have a backup somewhere else with the paper password. And you could have instructions in there. You know, if something happens to me, you'll get the card from my house and then do this. And you could, for example, take another encrypted card and put it in a bank safe. Now, if you did that, there is really, it's extremely secure. So you have the bank saving encrypted card at home encrypted card, the password in your head and the password on paper somewhere else. And you could take out any of those four elements. You know, you could die, your house could burn down, or your parents could, you know, run away with your password or something. (laughs) Or, Or the bank could say, I'm not giving you your save anymore. Any of those things could happen. As long as not two things happen at the same time, you're fine.
0: yeah i oh, really uh, like this uh, uh, i'm gonna get one i'm gonna get one and uh, and try it out
1: yeah they're pretty cheap they're like um two euros a card or something or three yeah so the way i did it you need three cards for that so it's you know it's like less than 10 euros i think you, you bought mean- some right of course yeah oh he sent me some okay cool. yeah
0: yeah oh, i really like this and uh, i think um uh I think I'll probably discuss it at my next meetup also yeah
1: I think because the the reason really why I gave this talk was because I was asked, wondering what's the best way for someone who's not technically adept to store their bitcoins if they put in you know a substantial amount you know if it's a small amount maybe it's fine on your mobile phone or on your desktop. But if it's a bigger amount and if it got stolen, that would be really, really painful. Then you want to have something more secure. And the problem is this for example with paper wallets. Now, paper wallets are great as long as your computer is safe. But if you had malware on your computer, then you know that's there that
0: can be a problem.
1: And this here works even if
0: Okay, wait, wait, wait. How? how does, I, I don't see how this protects you against malware. Because if there's malware on your computer, like a keylogger, for instance, um, it will try. It will. Get, it will get your passphrase. It yeah. Will able to get your passphrase and possibly even your confirmation code.
1: Well, no. So it can get your passphrase and get your intermediate code, but the thing is. There, your intermediate uh, code rather. yeah. You can from the intermediate code, you can create various encrypted private keys and Bitcoin addresses. This is not deterministic; it's not one. Oh,
0: so okay. they don't know. Right, right.
1: Even if they have that, that's useless because they need to encrypt the private key as well. And you don't even know what the encrypted private keys Bitcoin is going to generate <coughs> until they send you the cards in the
0: mail. And that's based on what? So the so with that uh, intermediate code so the big card they generate uh, an encrypted private key so basically with that same intermediate code you can generate multiple encrypted yeah
1: any number of them
0: yeah okay so then somebody could have the same passphrase with and, and and have different keys that's right. Yeah, yeah. You could control
1: different wallets with the same password.
0: Whoa. Okay. And so, how does that? How? How? Do, uh, what? What's the variable upon which those different keys are generated? Like this Bit thirty eight this Bit Card, or the wh- whoever makes the card, uh, they have also uh, like a random number or something that they use. Yeah.
1: It? It, there's you can check out the white paper. There's yeah. a Bit Thirty Eight. Uh, like you know, the improvement proposal—it quite frankly is not easy to understand. I can imagine. You know, it's like it's like the seven step: like first do this, and then you take like the hash of that and the salt of that, and then you do this, etc. So there's a standard way of of doing that. It's also part of BIP 38 how you take intermediate code and uh, generate those things. You know, it uses like SHA 256 yeah, yeah, and okay. some some other things. So it's, I, it's I don't true. understand those details. Quite, mm. but but the general idea is yeah, you can take the intermediate code and generate any any amount of um, encrypted private keys and addresses.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I really like this. Like uh, ever since we you first told me about this a few weeks ago, a few months ago.
1: I should point out one guy at the meetup said, and this was uh, I didn't even think of it, although it's quite obvious. You don't even need Bitcard for that. You could do it yourself, right? So you could. For example, um, go somewhere else to someone else's computer and generate, go on Bit2Factor, generate the intermediate code there and send it to yourself and generate your own private, uh, own paper wallet at home.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Uh, Now that would also work. Of course, the cards are quite nice. I like that. And, you know, it, it will feel... Yeah, it might feel nicer to have a, a you know a card and card instructions, etc. Much longer. The cards last yeah. longer, otherwise it's on paper, etc. But you can actually do this yourself and it, it'll be I think very safe. And so yeah, I think this is the safest way for technically non-adept user
0: of storing a substantial amount of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And even technical users, I mean.
1: And it's pretty easy,
0: yeah. So. Yeah, like right now I'm using like Armory on a Raspberry Pi, and I I get a, I, I gave the seed to a friend, but like uh, I think I'm gonna do this rather. I mean, it's much more secure. And
1: yeah, I mean with the Armory seed, I mean there's one seed. Someone steals a seed, they have your coins. Mm-hmm. So here you have a two-factor thing. Now Armory does allow you to split the seed, I think. Yeah. So if you did that, I mean, I think you can build a system with Armory, you know, Armory is going to be as secure. It's actually more secure in a sense, because once you spend it, you can, you can generate the transaction offline with Armory, but here you have to take it online. You know, it's, it loses being a hot wallet, a cold wallet once you want to spend it. So this is really good for like long-term thing where you say, I'm going to leave this there for two years or a year or something. But it's not, you shouldn't put any money in there that you might spend in a few months. Right, right.
0: Mm -hmm. No, it's cool. I like it. I'm going to get some. (laughs) Awesome.
1: Yeah, so again, if you want to check it out, it's bit-card.de. Yeah. Uh, Very nice. They've sold, I don't know, you told me, they've sold like over 100,000 of those. Really?
0: Cool. Yeah. Are they the only company? I I haven't seen any other companies that make them. There are
1: some other companies that do that.
0: Cause they're in Germany. Uh, I think they ship internationally also. So,
1: yeah, they ship anywhere. I think there's a company called like Crypto Cards or something like that that makes them. Um, but I know those guys, and I think they're trustworthy and all, and you know they have a they're doing a great job. They're also cheap. I saw the other ones are like you know sixteen dollars a card or something. I, I but I don't think they're the only one. I think there's maybe one or two more maybe more that are providing that service
0: Hmm. as crypto cards suggest you should put them in your freezer (laughs) then it's really cold storage (laughs) imagine imagine you get these cards and as as soon as you put them in in like the freezer or in cold temperatures they like wipe oh yeah the code on it or something
1: (laughs) oh yeah yeah that's so that's another one so it's crypto-cards.com and I mean, they're also uglier.
0: (laughs) Oh God. 16. Yeah. They're 15 bucks a card.
1: Yeah. So they're like, they're like four times as expensive and they're ugly. So I, I I would go with a big card, but, uh, but there's definitely other solutions.
0: Yeah. Cool. Now, are you putting all your Bitcoin on this or like your long, long long-term storage? No, I have the same thing you have. Basically I have armory, Mm -hmm. offline
1: armory. So, no, I, I mean, I have like a a dollar on it now because I was testing it. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, you know, because I took it, I was also testing the importing thing. So that's just like this advantage. Once you import it in blockchain and I've done that to test it out, now it's really not cold anymore. So so I mean, I'm sure it's still reasonably safe to put money on there. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not so like
0: cheap. you can you can go and buy like yeah, I could just get another set. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And you, what you can do if you don't want to do like if you don't want to, for instance, have to go through the, the hassle of generating your own encrypted passphrase, you can buy like maybe two or three of these, and then uh since the encrypted passphrase doesn't have to be covered by a by a hologram you can you copy it onto like paper and make like paper copies and put one in a bank safe or something like that where you know it's going to be safe or maybe like make a laminated uh laminated copy or something like that like
1: but wait say that again i don't know i mean you're still gonna have to generate
0: your yeah i'm saying you could buy like you could buy maybe four or five of these right with different wallet yeah. addresses, um, and uh, and then make copies of them yourself on paper. Yeah, yeah, like photocopies of. Oh, the
1: card.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You could do that. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. Now, no, no, yeah. Theoretically, couldn't you? Because if you can generate. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could use one passphrase to dre- generate multiple cards with multiple keys also.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, that's really cool, too. So you could have basically like one, it's kind of like a seed, like, it it, is like in, a seed, in a way, I mean, you could have like your passphrase and uh, generate multiple cards with that same passphrase and not have to worry about remembering multiple passwords. No, no, that's totally right. Yeah. This is awesome. Exactly. I love this. <laughs> I really like this. I'm going to get some of these. I know. Cool. It's cool. Yeah, we should definitely try to get this guy on the show at some point.
1: Uh, I, I I asked him to do the talk at the meetup. You know, I was like, "Hey, why don't you do it?" And I think he's like a bit, uh, you know, he's he's a bit shy, so he rather had me do the talk. Okay. So I I don't know if he wants to comment on the, uh, on the show, but um, but yeah, no, it's great. I think it's a great system. Awesome.
0: Well, I think that's all um, for today, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else you want so, to
1: talk about? No, no, that's, I think that's all. Well, maybe. So if you're going to be in Amsterdam, you should. I, I guess it's still a few weeks, but I'm going to be at the conference in Amsterdam. We also have uh, uh, Sean Jones, whom we had on a few weeks ago when we talked about regulation. She's also going to go to the Amsterdam conference and she's going to do some coverage for the podcast on regulation. She's going to interview people and we
0: create some episodes uh, that's for the podcast. Really, that's super nice of her to do that
1: yeah it's great i'm very excited about what she's gonna do and um yeah so get in touch i'll remind again before before that but i'll I'll be there so i'd love to meet some people
0: unfortunately i won't be able to make it even though i'm just uh skipping a hop away yeah uh, Yeah, that's a shame That's a shame Uh, unfortunately i have other engagements all right. well uh, just also I want to I wanted to mention uh, there's a good chance I won't be on the show next week uh, actually right now as we're recording this probably about in an hour I gotta go to the train station and pick up my mother who's arriving from Canada so she's gonna be here for the next two weeks I'm not gonna be on the show. I probably won't I probably won't be on the show next Sunday so uh it'll be just Brian and a guest uh, do you know what who's gonna be on already and not for certain yet okay. it, i've been in contact with a bit
1: too idiot some of you may know him uh he was quite he, he achieved some level of notoriety for breaking a lot of the news around mount gox so he was like the first one to publish leak some of the documents and he has a, a blog and so i'm very hopefully he's going to come on because i think it would be super exciting
0: cool awesome Well, if he comes on, I'll try to make it, (laughs) because I'd really like to talk to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks very much for listening to our 17th episode. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, epicenterbitcoin.com, uh, sorry, twitter.com slash epicenter BTC. Also uh, you can give us a tip on uh, epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. We fixed our address problems we were having. Some people were telling us that our Dogecoin and Litecoin addresses weren't valid but uh, that's been fixed. Um, also give us feedback go on iTunes and uh, write us a review or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts we'd love to get some feedback from our from our listeners
1: yeah absolutely and uh, subscribe to our newsletter which is at bitcoin.com slash newsletter goes out every Friday and I think that's it for now we'll look forward to have you you know to talk again in a week all right talk to you
0: guys later